Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Morning. That was beautiful, wasn't it? Well, as Pastor Chris mentioned, and you all know, it is 2024. Who's excited for 2024? Yeah? Okay, we got some claps. Okay, I appreciate it. You know, I'm still waiting for Y2K to happen, but yeah. That was a really bad joke. But I, I, I made them suffer through it, so you had to do the same. But yeah, we are well into 2024 already, it seems. I, I know we're just like, I, I feel like we're still waiting for Thanksgiving to happen, but we're, we're into 2024, and we're excited for it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but let's first go to God in prayer. Loving and precious God, we give you thanks. There's too much to name for all that we are thankful for. For this church for this space, for the family and friends that sit around us, whether we're here in the building or we're worshiping online. God, I don't know what 2023 held for everybody who is with us today. It could have been a year for a celebration, joy, jubilee. It could have been a year to forget. But God, remind us that you were God then, you were God today, and you will be God through all of 2024 and the years to come. Be with us, be with myself, God, as I preach the word, preach your word. May it be about you, may it glorify you, lift you up, edify you, and all I do and say, and if necessary, move me aside, so above all else, the cross may be proclaimed. It's your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we head into 2024, these last couple years, I think it goes without saying, have been ones that have seen pretty significant change in the world. There's a lot of stuff that has changed, some for the better, some for the worse, but I think some of the areas where we've seen a lot or most of the change is in the workplace. Who's seen some pretty significant changes in their workplace over the past couple years? Okay, so we've had some of you. Now, a lot of this could be potentially that Maybe work has gone online or completely remote. We have the gift of technology that allows us to work remotely. Maybe you could just have a hybrid role where you're only in a couple days and out a couple days. There's been a lot more focus on employee well-being. You know, we have sick days that are granted to us, but now a lot of companies have mental health days as well. So whether you're not feeling well physically or just emotionally, you can take that time to recoup and recover and come in refreshed on the next day. There's also a focus on company culture. This is a hope to make things better, make it a more healthy place to work. Companies are now sh starting to shift focus maybe on some local community aspects where they can help in better the community that surrounds them and even maybe gives them business and just do some social things that can help in the local area. And then, of course, we also have the increased use of technology. 
Technology has a way of exponentially growing. And now with the artificial intelligence that's here, who uses artificial intelligence in their job? Or maybe even just any day-to-day. -day. Do we have any folks who do that? We had a couple folks at the last, but now we have the opportunity to have conversations and full-on conversations with ChatGPT and similar things that basically are like talking to a human. You can ask it questions, it can respond, it can talk back to you, um, and it can help in a lot of ways. So while we have these things that have changed the workplace, there's also some things that remain the same. For example, when we talk about workplace satisfaction, compensation is still at the top of that conversation, right? Whether you love the job or hate the job, compensation plays into it in a large way, just as far as salary and benefits and different things like that. As I mentioned, it being a healthy place to work, the workplace environment, is it a toxic environment? Do you find yourself getting beaten down? Maybe this is emotionally, maybe even it's just an unsafe physical work environment. So those things play into employee satisfaction. We also can just see the general stress of the job, whether you love it, you hate it, maybe you love it and you're paid super well, but the stress is just too much. That plays into satisfaction. However, still top of the list, it seems the most significant factor affecting employee satisfaction is the leadership style of their supervisors and their superiors. Who is happy with the way that their superiors and supervisors lead them? Okay, we got a couple of you. I'm, raising, I'm, I'm using this as an example, but I'm also happy, Chris, um, letting you know right now um, that, that, you know, it works well. You know, I, I made sure that the people that I supervised raised their hand uh, the last year. I demanded it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but they did, which was helpful and helped my ego out a little bit. But it... it it makes all the difference in the world. Um, I know people, I've had conversations, even the past week, they're like, I love my job, but my supervisor, it's just, it's just difficult, um, you know, and I'm just finding it difficult to find meaning and purpose just with the way they manage things. A couple different types of management style. You have kind of a transformative leadership style. This is a big focus on management and adaptation, whatever kind of needs to be done to adapt and improve and motivate the team to get the job done. There's more maybe of a laissez-faire approach with this kind of a hands-off, whatever autonomy is needed to do what necessary to get the job completed. And then there's the opposite of that, which is in an authoritarian, which is my way or the highway almost demanding obedience. What I say goes with little to no input from the team. Now, some of these leadership styles, you know, maybe you take little bits from here, little bits from here, little bits from here, and some have their benefits, some have their downfalls. But for me personally, what I seem to find helpful in my experience as far as my leadership style, but also how I'm led, is a servant leadership. This is an approach of a leader who's not afraid to do what is necessary on their own behalf. They never ask a job or a task of somebody else that they're not willing to do so themselves. They're willing to get their hands dirty. They're willing to be the one who leads from the front in order for the success of their team. And I think that's the way that Christ leads us. No, we're not employed by Christ, but Christ is our leader. We say that Christ is king, we say that Christ is Lord, 
and so we follow his lead. And so by Christ being baptized, I think that is a perfect example of Christ leading from the front, doing what is necessary, showing us the way of how to live and love in this world. So that's going to be our focus for this morning. We're going to look at the text from Matthew 3, where, Matthew, or sorry, where Jesus begins his public ministry, and we're going to read verses 13 through 17. It says this, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, Thanks be to God. A couple things to note here. We see the dove that descends upon Jesus in verse 16. And this dove is a sign of new creation. We can go back to Genesis, the earliest text in the scriptures, where we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of creation, almost bringing calm. And so as the Spirit descends, there is a new creation. And this new creation is Jesus' public ministry, in a sense. And we'll talk about that. But then we'll also see in verse 15 where Jesus says, for we must carry out all that God requires. Imagine Jesus coming to you and saying, hey, I want you to baptize me. I can imagine John being a little bit nervous in that. But when he says we must fulfill all righteousness, this is because righteousness and fulfillment are big themes in Matthew. Righteousness being to do the will of God, fulfillment, carrying out what is necessary to complete it. So when we have John baptizing Jesus, we see them working in tandem to bring about God's perfect saving plan for humanity. So keep those in mind as we talk through this. But going back to the baptism, specifically, what does that tell us? When Jesus is baptized, and we see this in the text from verse 13 through 17, what does this tell us? The first thing this tells us is the declaration of sonship and belovedness. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy, is what God says. This is more than just a biological family relationship. This is more than just a father or mother saying to their son. This is the Holy Spirit, or sorry, this is God saying to Jesus in the most full sense that they are one. They are connected. We don't have the Trinity explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but we'll see the entering of the Holy Spirit later to see them all three together. But we know that as we speak about the Trinity, we have the Father, we have the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three parts, but we see this connection, this relationship that is played out by God saying, this is my Son who, I, or who brings me great joy. And this also is God's approval. And this is God's pleasure that he finds within Jesus, that Jesus is in perfect alignment with God's will. There's no discord, there's no disagreement or anything else like this. This is Jesus's humanity 
fully on display, or sorry, divinity fully on display. In this moment, we see that Jesus is fully God, and we'll see his humanity come on a little bit later. So in this moment, we see that Jesus is fully God. And now we have the entrance of the third persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. As the heavens opened up and the dove descend, this is Jesus being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, when we pray over the communion elements, we call upon the baptism, or sorry, we call upon the Holy Spirit to be with us, to transform the waters, to transform the bread and the cup. This is the same spirit that was with Jesus 2,000 years ago that is with us today. Same exact one. Paul reminds us that in Romans 8, 9. Paul says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit living in you. This empowerment of the spirit is within Jesus. And this empowerment of the spirit is also marking the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. I almost like to step back and think of it as the spirit enters into Jesus, empowers him. This is kind of the connection. This is the bridge, if you will, that connects Jesus to the world for this ministry to begin. And as we think about our own baptisms, as the Holy Spirit connects us, not only with the congregation and with God, but it also connects us with Jesus's ministry as well. So when we are baptized, we enter into that same relationship of Jesus's ministry. And we say that in our UMC liturgy, it says this, it says, through baptism, you are incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. As we are baptized, the Holy Spirit empowers us and incorporates us into Jesus' ministry. It's a public declaration of us beginning that as well. And here's the last thing that it says to us, and I think sometimes this might be the thing that we overlook the most, is this is Jesus' identification with humanity. We focus a lot on Jesus being Lord, Jesus being God, Jesus being fully divine. And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was fully human as well. And as Jesus steps into the waters of the Jordan River, this is Jesus putting on humility. This was Jesus affirming his humanity. He gets into the trenches with us, and he's the first one to do it. He is the one who leads from the front. This is servant leadership. Because as Mark reminds us, for even the Son of Man, who is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus isn't asking us to do things that he has not done. Jesus is not sitting back and demanding things, saying, hey, this is what I think would work best. Jesus does the things and says, do as I do. And Jesus, having been baptized, is a perfect example 
of that. But I think about, with Jesus being fully God and fully human, did that make life easier for him? He's fully God, so, you know, and I shared this story in the last service, but, you know, did Jesus use his divinity to kind of get out of tough situations and kind of maybe it was a little bit of like a, I don't know, it's kind of like undercover boss. It was kind of like a safe word, like, hey, this isn't working, God, just get me out of here. Well, we see that when he was tempted and he goes into the wilderness later, the devil says, just say it. The angels will come save you. But Jesus sticks with it. He chooses to stay in the moment and embraces humanity as he relates and shows solidarity with us. I have a mentor of mine who I worked with for some years. Um, he was great for my theology, but he also really messed up my theology with some of his silly questions. And I remember he would ask me questions. He goes, you know, we'd be sitting there, we'd be like deep into work, and he'd, he'd go, Will, do you think when Jesus like would eat something, he would like magically turn it in to like lobster or something, and it tastes like really good? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, I don't either. But I wonder if he did. But it makes you think, like, Jesus probably could have done that, but he didn't. He decided to stay fully human so that he could relate to us. Again, not asking anything of us he would not do himself. And his baptism is a perfect example. It's almost like going on the perfect vacation. You go on this perfect vacation. It's not one of those vacations that you need the vacation from, but it's one of those vacations where you're unplugged, you're relaxed, you sleep in every day. That was probably what heaven was like, exploring full communion with God, but then all of a sudden you're back to reality. You know, as God comes to earth, Jesus stepped down from his heavenly throne to enter into this world as a baby and go through everything that we th went through as well. And as he is baptized by John the Baptist, I think this is him putting that on. There's a gentleman named John Chambers. Is anybody familiar with John Chambers? Anybody heard of him? Okay. John Chambers, he was the CEO of Cisco, not Crisco, I keep wanting to say that, not the cooking stuff, Cisco, which is a networking cybersecurity company, and he was the CEO from 1995 to 2015, so he served for 20 years. And he is best known for his leadership style. He was not the authoritarian, he was not the dictator, who said his way or the highway. He very much so led from the front in a servant leadership style. When the housing market crashed in 2007, 2008, and all markets really suffered, much like most companies, Cisco had a setback in revenue. So the first thing he did is says, we need to cut costs. And I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna cut my salary by 10%, and he encouraged his executive team to do so as well. He was the first one to do it instead of asking others to do it and just follow suit. 
so he led from the front. He had an open-door policy, known for inviting in whoever wanted to speak with men, them, no matter what level they held at the company. If they had feedback, if they had suggestions, whatever it was, he was known to have his door always open if he wasn't in a meeting to chat about things. He made mistakes, like all leaders do, but he was humble enough to admit said mistakes. He was humble enough to admit that he did not have all the answers, so much so that he invited CEOs and owners of rival companies to come talk to his company because he felt it was best for the company. He invited Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, to come talk to Cisco because he knew that he did not have all the answers. When he ended up retiring, he could have just gone on that beautiful vacation we just talked about for the rest of his life, but he ended up to stick around to stay on the board to continue to impart his knowledge on the board so that they could continue to be successful and grow. When he was CEO and he came on, Cisco had a revenue of $1.2 billion. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of zeros. I wouldn't mind just a little bit of that. He grew that to $47 billion. That is a 3,800% increase of his time there. His leadership style worked. It wasn't this authoritarian, it wasn't this dictator, it was servant leadership. It was leading from the front. And it was successful. It grew. And I think so often we live in a world that sees humility as weakness, that sees servanthood as not being strong enough to get somebody else to do it. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm too good to do that. We see that in so many different things. But yet, we have a perfect example of how that is successful. I'm sure John is just one of many examples. But the perfect example is Christ. And when Christ leads us, when Christ is the one that we follow, Christ is the one who says, I'm willing to do those things, and I went through those things as well. He went through ridicule. He went through being mocked. He had family troubles. He probably got a stomach bug or two or three. He went through all of it, all the way to the cross, to show his love for us. His baptism was putting on humanity and saying, I'm willing to do it too. So that we know we don't have a leader who sits off in the distance and demands and asks, but gets in it with us. In 2024, that's the way I hope to lead. In 2024, that's the way I think we hope to lead. And I hope will come along as well. 2023 was a great year in a lot of ways. Not perfect, but great. And I hope 2024 is the same as we all are led by Christ. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for your lead. As you are the one who is willing 
to do the things that are difficult. As you step down from your heavenly throne to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel, to show your love for us. There is no greater act of love going all the way to the cross. God, we give you thanks. Thank you for being my leader. Thank you for being our leader. As you put on humility and you rose up out of those waters, may the same spirit that empowered you all those days be the one that remains with us as we continue and join your new creation and are incorporated into your priesthood. We give you thanks. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.